Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that is related to the door of our hope. May the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this great privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And so stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you in the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. May allow us to find your holy countenance. I present the service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 25 through 27. Your sandals should be iron and bronze. As your days, so shall your strength be. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you. And in his excellency on the clouds, the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, Destroy. If you carefully look at this prophecy, then on one end, it sounds as a promise for protection from the enemies of poverty, poverty and on the other as a promise of full uh, destruction of these enemies. According to this statement, God will be a refuge from poverty to fulfill the purpose of iron and bronze is our role, which gives God the basis on one hand to serve as our protection and on the other hand in scripture there are certain conditions that will give God the basis to do something for us from which we can conclude that our protection from poverty is the mutual work of God and man the locks or the, uh, the locks are the keys from the doors of the treasury in which are called to be kept and multiplied our riches. God is not against riches because He has all of, contains all of the riches and He looks at poverty as a result of a curse that is made from resistance and disobedience to His commandments. The locks out of iron and bronze are called to be our characteristics. They're called to protect us from the dependence on money, to give us the authority over money. Our dependence on money is always tied to idolatry, to mammon, 
Whereas authority over money is always tied to worship to God in His glory. In this prophecy is mentioned our conditions and method by which God will multiply our riches. Let us pay attention that scripture, what scripture views as the locks as iron and bronze, which guarantees our protection from poverty. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 7 through 9, For the Lord your God is bringing you into good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. This good land is viewed as our body adopted by the redemption of Christ. Having been omnipresent, God already has adopted our body with his redemption. When in time, the time comes that has been established by him, then this will this will happen in the literal sense for us. But God has already but God already views this in the literal sense under the condition that we have accepted this promise. Under the rocks in our body, we should view the firmness of our spirit that is able to in the boundaries of our responsibility to weigh or to represent or protect the interests of God. If you remember the firmness of the name of the Most High, the first meaning is rock. And here it says, you will go into the land of brooks of water, a land that is my law, flows from my commandments. Under bronze in our body, we should view the promises of God by the presence of which should be defined that we have pleased God. How do we take from the promises of God? The promise, how do we take it? Here it says that when we proclaim the faith of our heart in doing so, we, as soon as we leave beyond the limits of our responsibility or we try to place our role in someone else, this means that we refuse and God will then be unable to help us. He will, on the contrary, turn his anger upon us. Job chapter 36, verses 16 through 7. Indeed, he would have brought you out of dire distress into a broad place where there is no restraint, and what is set on your table would be full of richness, but you are filled with the judgment due the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold of you. Job 36, verses 16 through 17. So practically, God turns to Job and says, There is a reason why I have allowed for you to be found in this kind of state, to test your faith. Because all that we do, we do with our words. And if our appraisal does not equal to the appraisal of the righteous, then it blocks the blessing of God. It blocks the help of God. We wait, we wait, but our lips block our prayers. We pray, we pray, and then we block them. We look at someone 
what they're dressed in, how they've put on their makeup, what they're doing. Pay attention. You momentarily block all of this because your judgment is the judgment of the wicked. Having been righteous, you are judging as the wicked do. The wicked think that they can and they are called to judge everyone and to give everyone a value. The righteous know that they can judge themselves and those who are under their responsibility. And to judge oneself and those people who are under our responsibility, he can according to Scripture, so that he does not violate the sovereign rights of those people for whom he carries a responsibility. And therefore, Condemnation is judgment is close. You, you might give an appraisal, but this appraisal might be incorrect. We are called to judge, but only with the righteous judgment. The wicked do not have the firmness of their spirit in order to weigh themselves as well as those who are found under their responsibility. The firmness of the spirit and the format of iron is the responsibility that we are called to carry in the boundaries of our family, our local church, and where we are in the world, where we are a light. And the firmness of the spirit in the format of bronze is the authority or the responsibility that we are called to carry in the boundaries of our essence expressed in our spirit, our soul, and our body. Not others, but ourselves. Responsibility is not control, but the care and rule that must be done according to the commandments of God. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the, all the cattle. Genesis 1.26 Having created man, God had made him sovereign, and he had placed a limit for himself. He cannot penetrate the planet Earth without the agreement of man. Just like with this sovereignty that he has in heaven, he has endowed a person on Earth. All that God wants to do on the Earth, he is called to do through a person, but a sovereign person. Following these commandments, are the locks out of iron and bronze that will give God the basis to be to be our fortress, an opportunity to expand our riches. Micah 413 Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. I will consecrate their grain to the Lord and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. And all that was carried out of Egypt, a tabernacle had to be built to the Lord in which God could communicate with man and man could communicate with God.
In the words, the ways of the righteous that shines brighter until the full day, Proverbs 4.18. So be careful. Be careful of the teaching of so-called financial prosperity that has become famous during financial conferences that have turned the house of prayer into a den of thieves. When Jesus went into the temple and he found those who had sold doves and those who had exchanged currency of different countries, he had flipped their tables over. He had got run them out of there. He said, the home of my father is a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. When you teach in the church how to be materially prosperous, then you make the house of prayer to the den of thieves. The house of prayer is a communication of a person with God. Through communication of a person with God, God will bring him to authority over money. And not by thinking how I'm going to become rich. I am already rich. I am already so rich that the whole earth does not have as many riches as we have. The word of God that dwells forever, that is living, that is fresh, is such a rich such a treasure that will destroy the power of death in our body. It'll raise up the power of life in our body and it will transfer us into the new heaven and new earth and all of these riches will be burned. There are many cares from, the, from these riches. Many end up in hospitals, relatives fight over it. There is evil because money in this world is evil, the root of all evil is love for money, dependence on money, the root of all evil. Authority over money is the root of all good. Two thousand years ago, he had brought himself as a sacrifice and he had torn the veil of the temple and he had opened the path to his heavenly Father. By following this path, in order to give God what is God's, we will know God more and more and he, on his end, will begin to bless us more and more. Right now, we are going to honor God in tithes and offerings. This is our privilege, our holy, holy portion, to acknowledge His authority and to express His love. Let us stand. Without our worship to God of tithes and offerings, our worship is not full, our service is not full but rather a caricature, a mockery. And those who do not honor God in tithes and offerings, and they come before His countenance with empty hands, they will be cursed. Now I remind you that tithes are not a product of the Old Testament because they existed long before the Old Testament, although they found a place there. This is the eternal commandment of God. There's always something 
that belongs to God, what is holy, hallowed unto God, and that which belongs to us. And again, I will remind you that when we honor God with tithes and offerings, we affirm ourselves as belongings of God. Whoever refuses to honor God with tithes and offerings, in doing so, he tells God, I am not your belonging. With their tongues they might say, Lord, you are my God, but for this word God will judge them. If I am your God, bring to me tithes and offerings. Honor me as God. The Son honors the Father. But where is your honor? You ask, how are we not honoring? How are we stealing from you? Tithes and offerings. You are cursed because you have lied to all of the people. Bring all the tithes into my storehouse so that my home may have food. And although now it tests me this, says the Lord, will I not open for you the windows and pour out upon you the blessings? And you shall be called blessed by all the peoples because you are going to be a desired land, says the Lord of hosts. And so I will gladly remind you that each time when Israel had honored God in tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or the temple of Solomon, they were called to, according to the words of Moses, which he had received as a revelation from God, to raise their hands over their offerings and proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, drinking from the fruit of the same olive tree will do the same thing. Please raise your right hand, a symbol of your righteous act, over your offerings, and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home, so that your home may have food. I do not give impurely, I do not give in sorrow, and I do not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessings come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Let's go.
If you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that God has written His depth and His vision and our relationship with Him, our future and our inheritance. Matthew 5:45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. And linked to the path that leads us to perfection, we have been studying the path that leads us to God as to our groom in the symbolic story of the path of Rebekah to Isaac and have been studying the signs presented in the Bride of the Lamb. Rebekah presented these signs in the virtue of the Lily of the Valleys, upon which we are called to look with the eyes of our heart or with the eyes of faith so we may form ourselves into the image of perfection that is in the likeness of our Heavenly Father. <clears throat> Luke 12:27 through 32 Consider the lilies how they grow they neither toil nor spin and yet I say to you even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these If then God so clothed the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven how much more will he clothe you O you of little faith and do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind, for all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. <clears throat> Based on the given place of Scripture, considering the unseen process of life that flows in the lily of the valley with the eyes of faith, is the command necessary for receiving the kingdom of heaven, giving us the right to dress into the perfection of our Heavenly Father, or into our new person, in other words, into resurrection. And for this purpose, we turn to the unique relationship of the most beautiful of women with her beloved in the book of the Songs of Solomon, where we see how the state and function of her heart identified the virtue of the lily of the valley, which in her heart is the kingdom of heaven that has come in strength. Songs of Solomon 5, 2 through 5. I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh, on the candles of the lock. We note that in all doors there is a handle or a latch of a door. We note that in the given place of Scripture, the dialogue of the most beautiful of women with her beloved Lord reveals the sacred relationship of the holy people and the coming meeting. When the Lord appears in the air, this dialogue will serve as evidence that the holy people are ready for this meeting. Therefore, if we have truly loved the appearance of the Lord, then it will be necessary for us to uncover and examine ourselves as to whether we are ready to meet with the Lord in the air when He appears for those who are waiting for Him in salvation in their heart. 
And to reveal and identify the specific signs in the dialogue of the most beautiful of women with her Lord, serving as evidence that she is ready to meet her Lord in the air, we, thanks to the revelation of the Holy Spirit studying these places in Scripture and Hebrew, present a more elaborate version. I am submerged by baptism into the death of my Lord, in which I have died for my nation, for my house, and for my corrupt desires. But my inner person in the resurrection of my Lord is vigilant in prayer. Here's the calling cry of my beloved that by the knock upon the door proclaims the ability to use his right to power to reveal his strength in the works of righteousness. Now open to me, my sister, overfilled with my peace, one that does not have evil in her heart, my beloved friend and one that is loved by me, incomparable with any, my dove, my pure one, one without blemish or wickedness. Because the authority that represents me sent by me to you is overfilled with the words of life in the power of my spirit, and the people that follow after them died for sin so they may live for righteousness and perform righteousness. I have taken off the robe of the corrupt man with his deeds, collaborating my cross with the cross of Christ, and do not desire to be dressed in him any more, because I have allowed my feet to be washed, admitting my sins before the sons of my mother. I also wash their feet, forgiving their sins, and do not desire to defile my feet again by sinning against the sons of my mother. My beloved as evidence of his love has stretched out his hand to me by the offering which I presented, testifying of my respect towards God, and called me to liberty from the dependence of my corrupt man with his deeds, and has given me the strength to restrain my mouth and place a guard over my mouth. And my insides began to worry when he began to act, and I arose from ruins of death by the power of his resurrection, and I cast off of myself the burden of the old law, so that the beloved would be able to carve upon the tablets of my heart the words of the New Testament, that would be able to clothe me into his righteousness, so that my mouth would be able to be filled with fragrant praise, and the words of my mouth, like myrrh, would produce incense from the four horns of the golden altar of incense. In this place of scripture, presented in the format of a dialogue, we paid our attention to five moments, and these are the most beautiful of women confessing her state as a whole before the Lord, the response of the beloved to the state of the most beautiful of women, the first reaction of the most beautiful of women to the voice of the beloved, the behavior of the beloved to the response of the most beautiful of women, and the second reaction of the most beautiful of women to the behavior of the beloved. In the previous services, we had already studied two moments and have been studying the third moment. In the third moment, in the words of the elaborated version, we see the response of the most beautiful of women to the revelation of God that she received through the latch of the door in the image of the dew and the drops. And as we together have now understood the latch of the door through which the beloved stretched out his hand to reveal his urim, the revelation of his spirit in the heart of the beloved, is presenting yourself to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable for his wise service. If a person will, has not done this, then he does not have this latch of the door in his heart, and he does not have inside truth, faithfulness, and righteousness, and the Holy Spirit then has nothing to do there to give you something. He gives you something, 
by the offering you bring, and to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for the most beautiful of women, it was necessary to take off of herself the robe of the old man with his works. We note that in Hebrew, the phrase, I have taken off the robe, means to tear off the skin from an animal while it is still alive. Therefore, the phrase, I have taken off the robe, means I have allowed my skin to be removed from myself so that my, in my sufferings, I lose my former life. In this manner, before a person is dressed into humbleness, which will allow him to receive the ability to admit his sins before the sons of his mother, as well as forgive the sins of the sons of his mother, sins that they committed against him. A mother is that church that you're in, the holy church that we attend, that we are members of. <clears throat> And so if we will not be able to forgive the son, sins of the sons of our mother that they have committed against us, we will, it will be necessary for him, us to take off the robe of the sinful man or corrupt man. And to do this, it will be necessary for us to carry our cross when, and when collaborating with the cross of Christ because the truth about the blood of Christ purifies us from sin and in this way dresses us into the justification of Christ. At the same time, the truth about the cross of Christ separates us from the producer or factory of sin. This is our older sinful man. In a particular format, we have already looked at the essence of the cross of Christ and the essence of our cross and the difference between the cross and the, our cross and the cross of Christ, as well as based upon what principles is our cross called and able to collaborate with the cross of Christ and stop to study the next question. By what signs are we able to determine that our cross collaborates with the cross of Christ and not its counterfeit or some kind of falsification? And such signs are to be fruits of righteousness or the fruits of resurrection and the fruits of the tree of life that bear fruits 12 times giving its fruit each month. We note that the image of the cross of Christ that we are to collaborate with is presented in the 12 stones that are placed at the bottom of the Jordan, identifying victory over death, as well as the 12 stones that were taken from the bottom of the Jordan, identifying victory over sin in the flesh. The image of our cross, carrying our cross, we die for our nation, for our house, and for our corrupt desires, presented in the 12 stones from which the altar of the Lord was constructed. The twelve stones of the altar themselves reveal the good goals and good motives of our heart. This testifies of our readiness and strive to know the will of God. We will be seeking the Lord and not something else. These good motives, these are good motives, are we seeking the Lord? Again, the readiness and strive to know the will of God, the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The living sacrifice that is presented upon the altar is the means that is used to reach these good goals. The first living sacrifice that presented himself upon the altar, the altar in this case being the cross, is Christ himself, that has opened to us with his living sacrifice the path to the inheritance contained in his precious blood that is presented in the tree of life. In the New Jerusalem, as well as the Eden of our heart, with, which is the place of our communication with God, the image of the living sacrifice upon the altar of twelve stones are the twelve pearly gates, which reveal our abiding with Christ in his trials. These twelve pearly gates signify our abiding with Christ in his trials. And this is the key to entering the kingdom of heaven. Luke 22, 28-30, But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. 
You have continued with me. You presented from yourself, of yourself, this pearly gate. And so when you present this pearly gate, this is not just our sufferings, but there is mostly Christ's sufferings. You have continued with me in my trials. There are more of Christ's sufferings here than us, but we have united with Christ in, in his trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The kingdom of heaven, inheritance of eternal life, which is the Eden of our heart, in the image of the tree of life that bears fruit twelve times, giving its fruit each month and the leaves of, leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. We, in a particular format, have studied the names of the twelve patriarchs written upon the pearly gates. These names identify the requirements based upon which it is necessary for us to collaborate with carrying our cross with the cross of Christ. The requirements these are the requirements uh, that are in regards to these pearly gates they're keys to entering the kingdom of heaven and I've turned to study the fruits of resurrection that are in the tree of life bearing fruit 12 times bearing its fruit each month the 12 pearly gates in the unity is the unity of 12 virtues that the living sacrifice has the 12 names of the patriarchs upon the 12 pearly gates is the unity of 12 principles placed on, into the foundation of carrying our cross with the cross of Christ. Together, the 12 pearly gates and the names of the 12 sons of Jacob are the keys for accessing the kingdom of heaven, presenting the measure of the price for the right to eat from the fruits of the tree of life or the right to be dressed into the new person created according to God by Jesus Christ in righteousness and holy truth. The 12 months of the holy year where the tree of life yielded its fruit each month are the fruits of resurrection identifying feasts and signs that happen within each month of the holy year. In a particular format, we together have already looked at the, at the fruits of our spirit as the fruits of the tree of life yielding fruit in the first three months of the holy year. And therefore, we'll immediately turn to study the fruits of the spirit, the fruit of the tree of life in the fourth month that we are called to bear to satisfy the requirements of perfection that in the likeness are in the likeness of our Heavenly Father. The fruit of the spirit that we are studying symbolizing the fruit of the tree of life of the fourth month of the holy year year within the 10th citizen year is Tammuz it falls between the middle of June or July in Israel in the seventh day of the fourth month Tammuz the people fasted in memory of the two broken tablets of Moses in this month these those who lived on elevations approached the harvest of the wheat and the first grapes would begin to mature which was the time of the summer heat upon practice as we can see each feast was accompanied with some sort of harvest or more accurately was the harvest of some sort of sowing the broken tablets of the covenant symbolize the destruction of the handwriting of requirements that was against us by the teaching of Christ. The handwriting that is contained in the broken tablets of the covenant that were against us, the Son of God in the image of Moses took from our relationship with God and nailed them to the cross. Therefore, disarming principalities and powers, making them a public spectacle, triumphing over them in it. 
Let's read this place of Scripture, of scripture Colossians 2, 11 through 15. This place of Scripture reveals the essence of, uh, of what happened at the time of the breaking of the tablets. And so this was the work of God that was written upon these tablets. Jesus Christ was the work of the Heavenly Father, the work of redemption. And no one else took part in this. This was the work of God. This was the only begotten Son, the only one. This was the Word of God presented by the Father for His children. In Him, it's talking about Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the, f sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism in which you also are raised with Him through faith in the working of God and raised Him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made a life together with Him having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross having disarmed principalities and powers he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it if a man will not bear fruit of the fourth month for evidence of the fact that he in Jesus Christ by the law of Moses died for the law of Moses to live for God and live by God then he will lose the salvation that he received in the format of a guarantee by the law I died for the law for if I, ha I through the law died to the law that I may live for God Galatians 2.19 and 20 for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God and I have been crucified with Christ it, it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me practically in this occurrence we see the result of, of contact and confrontation between two glorious great powerful and tectonic laws these are the law these are the law giving power to sin and a law with the absence of the power of sin. Both laws by themselves are God's and together present the holy, eternal, and unchanging in its essence nature of God, as well as the holy, good, and unchanging goals of God. Therefore, before dying for the law that gives power to sin by the law, in order to live for God, it is necessary to be born from the seed of the word of truth. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. James 1.18 Only born from the seed of the word of truth can we then stand before the opportunity and requirement to die for the law by the law to live for God through crucifixion with Christ. We need to differentiate the form of justification that we receive in the moment of our birth from the seed of the word of truth from the other form of justification that we are called to receive as a confirmation of the previously received justification as fruit. There exists a difference, a big difference, between the seed of justification where, where we are born from God and between and the fruit of this seed where we are receiving confirmation of this justification. So there's the seed and the fruit that comes from the seed. And linked to bearing with the tree of life the fruits of the fourth month, presenting within the heart of a man the kingdom of heaven that has come in strength, identifying our justification in which we are called to bear fruits of righteousness, it is necessary for us to look at four classical questions. First, what is the natural essence or root of righteousness? From what wellspring does righteousness come, and what is justification? 
Also, what characteristics do the scripture give the word truth, righteous, and righteousness? What purpose is justification supposed to fulfill? Or in what way is justification supposed to reveal or show itself? What conditions or requirements are we supposed to fulfill to receive justification and to be dressed into righteousness? Because we are not dressed immediately into righteousness when we're born from the seed of truth. By what results are we able to judge that we possess within our spirit the tree of life that bears the fruits of the fourth month, which is the fruit of righteousness? Therefore, Question 1. What is the natural essence or root of righteousness? From what wellspring does righteousness come? And what is justification in its essence? As well as what characteristics do the scripture give the word truth, righteous, righteousness? The etymology of the words truth, justification, righteous, and righteousness in Hebrew contain a sufficiently rich set of definitions, uh, definitions as well as they reveal who God is for us and what He has done for us and what we need to do to inherit all that God, God has done for us. And so truth is holiness, the law, a covenant, justification. Righteousness, law, lawfulness, and fairness, commandment, statute, regulation. Truth is judgment, justice, fairness. Truth is directness, faithfulness, and truthfulness. Truth is constance, continuation, and immutability. Truthfulness, truth, wisdom, the light of life, honesty, sincerity, and purity. The truth of God is the resurrection of life, and the truth of God is the liberty of Christ. And so now what is justification in Hebrew? This is the eternal redemption, purchased from bondage of sin and death, the elimination of guilt or not inputting of sin to man, taken into the personal belonging and lot of God, adoption, resurrection from the dead. So what is righteous, holy, acceptable, guiltless, upright, honest, fair, free from the oath, from the oath or, or from the curse, not binded by sin, dead to sin, living for righteousness, being in a covenant with God, relying and trusting in God pleasant, finding the favor of God, honoring God with your tithes and offerings, abiding in God and rejoicing in God, spreading the fragrance of Christ. And so what is righteousness in Hebrew? Righteousness is hope and trust in God, faith that God is and what he ha that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Peace with God. Righteousness is peace with God based upon a covenant with God. Righteousness is sanctification of your dedication. Righteousness is observation of the justice of God. Righteousness is a, an expression of holiness and performing justice. Righteousness is expressing upright joy. Righteousness is remaining in your church. Righteousness is offering to God a sacrifice of praise. Righteousness is honoring God with tithes and offerings. And righteousness is revealing virtue in your faith that we have talked about. Show in your faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, and, and so forth. And so he, this is virtue. With all this, we need to look at these terms legitimate only in the format and boundaries of the service of justification. 
that is based upon and established upon the law of grace and is contrary to the service of condemnation, which is the law of Moses. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 through 11, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses, the service of justification that he that the righteousness that he held upon the tablets that he was holding his face was shining and the Israelite nation was not able to look at his face they were afraid because of this glory that came from these tablets from this word of God upon these tablets and it is written because of the glory of his countenance which glory was passing away and so they were not able to again look at his face and it was a temporary thing how will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious for if the ministry of condemnation had glory the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory for even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For, for if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. And so the service of condemnation presented in the law of Moses, if it was glorious for a temporary time, in other words, the righteousness of God within the boundaries of grace is the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. The righteous man is a man that honors the law of grace, living by the law of grace and not sinning against the law of grace. Considering that <clears throat> righteousness identifies and finds itself in holy truth, it is necessary for us to determine which of the two terms is the root and what grows from this root so that such relative terms as holiness, truth, and righteousness not be looked at as the same thing, although they have similarities, because each one of them have specific definitions and purposes that are in accordance to their essence. For example, based upon the definition in Scripture, righteousness comes from the root holy truth. And so what is holy truth? This talks about the fact, this is a, tr a truth that is holy. Holy truth is truth that is holy. It's not just truth, but truth that's holy. And so righteousness comes from holy truth. At the same time, the unity of holiness and truth reveals itself in righteousness, just as the Father reveals himself in his Son or the seed reveals itself in the fruit. From this, we can conclude that holy truth is the root from which the, right, the righteousness of God grows in the heart of a man. Therefore, holy truth is the state of the human heart. At the same time, righteousness is an expression of that state of holy truth. In this this way, righteousness is holy truth in action, or the result of what holy truth produces. Therefore, the legitimacy of righteousness is always examined and confirmed by the spring of its genesis, that is, holy truth or the holy word of the truth that is written in Scripture that is within our hearts and that we're born from. So for us not to be of empty words, we need to confirm with the Holy Scriptures <clears throat> the genesis of righteousness from the root of truth as well as the natural characteristics of righteousness itself, identifying the state and behavior of the righteous man.
And we will remember that justification as well as the confirmation of this justification in the broken tablets <coughs> that we are called to receive in Christ Jesus upon the conditions of Scripture will, re <coughs> will member us and make us heirs of the righteousness of God or will lead us into the inheritance of the righteousness of God. Considering that righteousness of God is first of all the judgment of God or justice of God which is determined which determines good and evil and that separates good and evil from this we can conclude that the judgment of any righteousness of God we see in the broken tablets is eternal and comes from the truth of the word of God that in nature is the wellspring root and foundation for judgment of all righteousness Psalm 119.160 then entirety of your word is truth. When talking about every word of God coming from the mouth of God and identifying the eternal essence of God being the truth, we firstly need to always understand that this is always a holy truth. It's not just truth, it's a holy truth that is ident that identifies the inner essence of the entrails of God. Because God by his eternal and unchanging natural essence firstly is holy. Therefore, every characteristic of his is unchanging and in natural essence is holy and so when we're talking about love then it's a holy love if it's a truth it's a holy truth if it's a righteousness it's a holy righteousness if it's a perseverance it's a holy perseverance and so due to this the righteousness of God is first of all always a holy eternal unchanging and unconditional righteousness of God the word holy first belongs to God and the essence of this characteristic is that God is holy by his eternal nature he is eternally separated from evil and is not part of any found evil his love is also a holy love and further is selective God is not able to love that which in its beginnings is not holy his holy love is always proportionate to his holy hate towards evil and lawlessness. He loves with an unconditional love all that is holy in its genesis or its beginning and hates with an unconditional hatred all that is lawless in its genesis and its beginnings. You love righteousness and hate wickedness, therefore God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Psalm 45, 7. Considering that righteousness and lawlessness, firstly, are two programs that out of a person or an angel are unable to reveal themselves, are unable to reveal themselves. We can have one conclusion with this, and that is that God from the beginning loved his holy righteousness in man and angels, and from the beginning hated the profane to him lawlessness and in man and angels. Further, carriers of lawlessness as the angels that did not keep their position in heaven, as well as man also who did not accept the love of the truth and defile the temple of their spirit, are vessels of his burning and powerful wrath. At the same time, carriers of his holy righteousness keeping themselves from getting in contact with lawlessness and overcoming evil are vessels of his mercy. Romans 9.22-24 What if God, wanting to show his wrath to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles.
And all this he has done through the broken tablets. There, at the moment of the breaking of the tablets, we receive justification, and that is when the writing that was against us, that's where it was destroyed. That's where it was nailed to the cross. And so the righteousness of God we see in the broken tablets as the program of God within the heart of a man by the man Jesus Christ cast a challenge summoned to the service of condemnation within the heart of a man and set up the service of justification. Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to those of the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause to grow up. It's talking here about the growing up to David, a branch of righteousness. I shall grow from the earth the branch of righteousness from David. He shall, ex he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord your righteousness. In the given place of scripture by the means of a branch of righteousness grown up from David, we see here again that this branch of righteousness that's grown up from David is the service of justification built up that is called to save Judah and Jerusalem from the service of condemnation. And so it's not abstract, it's a program in order for, uh, it can be built up only in the heart of a person that has received justification. And only in this heart can the service of justification happen. It is called to save Judah and Jerusalem from the service of condemnation. A branch of righteousness grown from David is the Son of God, born from the family and line of the house of David, from the Virgin Mary in the virtue of the Son of Man. And so to cancel out the service of condemnation, Jesus needed to be born from the woman and be obedient to the law, giving power to sin. Thereafter, being obedient to the law that is unable to bring a person to justification, he was grown by God into the head of justification where he as a seed that has fallen into the ground by the cross died as the broken tablets that he identified before God in the service of condemnation and in this way he had judged in himself the sin in the flesh and by his death he had taken the powers from hell from the devil so that those who receive him and abide in him can be delivered from the fear of death Hebrews 2 14 through 15 Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, the devil, that is, so to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And so the truth, righteousness of God in the broken tablets in the heart of a man are in those hearts, again, that have evidence that they come from God, or the Genesis is from God. The righteousness of God we see in the broken tablets as the program of God within the heart of a man is the great way of righteousness upon which within the heart of a man the life of God reigns and upon whose pathways there is no death. In the ways of righteousness is life and its pathways there is no death. Proverbs 12:28. Based upon this place of scripture, we can see that a person that walks upon the paths of righteousness writes with 
in his heart life or will obtain eternal life. A person cannot just be dressed into eternal life walking in any kind of path that is written in any book, even if it's a, called a holy book. The book needs to be living. He writes upon a living, a living book, and so a way is a well-trodden path, a vending plaza or a market. Proverbs 4:18-19. But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines even brighter unto unto the perfect day. It's talking about growth here. Uh, more and more, <clears throat> first a person sees uh, uh, dimly, but as soon as he grows, he begins to see him as he is. The way of the wicked is like darkness, they do not know what makes them stumble. In this way, the righteousness of God is a program of God, sh uh, shown here as these broken tablets shows in the hearts of the people as a light or a lamp that shines greater and greater until that perfect day that grows, grow themselves, that work upon this, and the light of truth, little by little, uh, opens up more ways and enlightens more uh, truth within their heart. And so, this will continue to happen until that perfect day. You'll have that sign then in yourself uh, that you will be raptured. The righteousness of God we see in the broken tablets is given to all who are oppressed for righteousness upon their path, making his way known to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. Psalm 103, 6, 7. The Lord executes judge righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The category of the oppressed to whom the Lord shows righteousness and justice, this is Moses and Israel, and not just anyone who is oppressed. The righteousness and justice that the Lord performs for Moses is showing Lord, Moses his ways, and the righteousness and justice he, he showed to the sons of Israel is where he showed his acts to them. And so the difference between the paths and the, that he showed to Moses and the acts is the, in Hebrew, the ways of the Lord is the Lord's goals. It's the Lord's will. So the ways of the Lord are the Lord's goals, the Lord's will, the Lord's purpose, the Lord's plan, and the Lord's strategy that he reveals to his delegated people. The acts of the Lord is the fulfillment of those goals of the Lord, the fulfillment of the will of the Lord, the fulfillment of the purpose of the Lord, the fulfillment of the plans of the Lord, and the fulfillment of the strategy of the Lord. How does this happen when a person hears the word of God that the Lord sends through his delegated person, this word of God begins to work in him and he sees in himself the works of the Lord, the acts of the Lord that the, the Lord does with him personally by the word that he's received and he's no longer that person that he was yesterday or the day before. He knows about himself who he is and what he is. He knows what peace is. He knows what the world is. He knows what the what hell is, what is his nation and what is his life. He knows how to battle he knows his goals and all of these things he sees in action he received all of these things and they're working in him and so the Lord shows to the sons of Israel his acts 
in their hearts and his paths, his ways, he shows to his, his delegated people so that they may pass them on. In this way, the righteousness of God shown in the broken tablets as the program of God in the heart of a man is revealed in the heart of those people to whom he showed his paths and his acts. Further, The righteousness of God we see in the broken tablets within the heart of a man is an expression of the grace of God testifying of the justification of God by faith in Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.21 I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law then Christ did die in vain. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law then Christ died in vain. A person attempting to kind God uh, with with his behavior somehow to make to please God with his actions, but rejects the grace of God <clears throat> that he is supposed to receive in Jesus Christ commits evil. You have become estranged from Christ. You were t you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope for, of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Galatians 5, 4 th through 6. And so the righteousness of God within the t broken tablets reveals itself in those hearts that have received God's grace freely by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God we see in the broken tablets in the heart of a person is an everlasting righteousness, which is the law of God within the heart of a man that comes from the truth of God and is built up by the truth of God. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your law is truth. Psalm 119, 142. The righteousness of God <clears throat> being the nature of God and His program is the same and eternal as God is, and so grown and built up from, by God from the seed of His Word in the heart of a person, the eternal law, it is in the heart of a person a sign of truth and a confirmation of truth. We need to understand two things, that first, a person is created by God as a living program, and secondly, that not all men are a living program of God. All have a program, are a program, but not are all not all are a program of God that belongs to God. God is not going to place his programs into a person who does not belong to him. He will place his program into that person that is holy in his beginnings, in his, in, his, in his genesis, that he would be able to place the program of his righteousness. And you need to be born from God in order for this to happen. Matthew 15, 10 through 14. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the, ma the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth defiles a man. Then his, disi then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard these things? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Pay attention. A person is... Uh, 
uprooted due to their own temptation or their own hard heart. Those people who are uh, have a hard heart, God will not place this program into them. They are. Uh, they they have a hard heart. They do they, they do not accept uh, the truth. And he and he said, leave them because they're not my mine. That's why they don't receive. Some people say, oh no, they left the church. What are we to do? Do not be. Uh, worried, they leave because they're not gods. They are uh, they are of their sinful conduct of their parents. That is what they live in, and that's not. And they don't receive. They don't want to blot out the sinful life of their parents from their life by the broken tablets of the covenant. They began to base everything upon their personal work and not God's work. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were—they first wanted to be gods. As we can see here, they wanted to be gods, but it, they, it turned out they were not gods. own. They were not able to stand in the uh, church of the righteous, and they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. First John 2, 18, 19. And so God will not place his program into people that are not his own. And this way, the righteousness of God as the program of God in the broken tablets reveals itself only in those hearts that, uh, into the heart of those people who do not leave their church and keep their position in the body of Christ. The righteousness of God we see in the broken tablets is the sworn and unchanging word of God that comes from the mouth of God and is present within the heart of those people by which God will shame those who are incensed against him and justify and, and he will justify in glory all the descendants of Israel. When it's talking about Israel, it's talking about worshipers of God from all nations, tongues, tribes, and peoples that worship God in spirit and in truth. Isaiah 45, 23 through 25. I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness. When it's talking about righteousness, you will see, when you see these words, what God does with righteousness, always imagine the broken tablets because this is where it came from because if the tablets were not broken then this righteousness would not have reached us we would have been killed by the law but he took this word that writing that was against us he, he and he broke it so that we can receive justification. I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, Surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, and all men all, sh all shall be ashamed who are incensed against me. And the Lord, all the descendants of Israel, shall be justified and shall glory.
the fact that the righteousness of God comes from the mouth of God, that is the unchanging word of God, it abides in the entrails of God, and when it comes from his entrails, his unchanging word as a program, it first of all, first of all, we see here that the knees, every knee bows before it. Heaven earth and hell it shames those who are haters of God and it justifies and glories those who worship God uh, and this uh, independent from gender or any other thing the word of God never comes out of the mouth of God without addressing someone specifically and so it's usually it's regularly towards those who hunger and thirst uh, for righteousness Isaiah 55 10 11 for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth it shall not return to me void but it shall accomplish what I please and they shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. Isaiah 55, 10, 11. God says, My word is this way, that I send in to my, towards my program or into my program that I have placed. The goal that it has, it will accomplish in the peoples. The, and it will accomplish why I sent it. When we receive the Word of God, we don't even think that the Word of God itself will do work in us that we ourselves would never be able to do. In this situation, we see two categories of holy people. One category are those who hungry for bread and eat bread. The second category are those who thirst and, and, and want to be uh, conceived by the word of God and so there's a difference there are those who are hungry and want bread and the second are those who want to be conceived by the seed of the word again let us note this to give seed to the sower and bread to the eater as we can see in, in verse 10 so if the first category will not allow God to grow her into the level of the second category then she will be blotted out of the book of life if she will just be eating but will not enter into the second category to be conceived by the seeds of the word of God then she would be blotted out of the book of life because the kingdom of heaven is identified by salvation and this is only exclusively with the fruit that you bring if you eat bread you can't bear fruit in order to bear fruit you need to be conceived by the seeds of the Word of God and grow this fruit in your heart there's there's a difference between the two in the beginning God does not uh, blame a person for not doing this in the beginning he, he can't bear fruit yet even though it sometimes appears to him that he is he's born again and he's rejoicing but being born from God and being uh, and so being a young man uh, I began to become afraid 
when I began to see uh, those people that I, I received salvation from or heard and received the salvation, I saw them as angels themselves. But as I began to grow, uh, I began to become afraid when I began to see faces of people that would demonize instead. And so as a child that is born from a mother does not stumble, whether she be a prostitute or anything else, or be a fallen woman, and they can tell, you could tell this boy or this child, uh, boy or girl or this child, that they, their mother is terrible, he still will love her and he will differentiate her, uh, her voice uh, from, from thousands of other women. I'm talking about babes. There's a difference between people of spiritual children uh, and mature, spiritually mature people. And so there will be a, here you will see the difference between the plants that are of the Lord and those that are not of the Lord. It is very important for us to be conceived by the seeds of the Word of God to grow fruit to God, not just to eat it, but also be conceived by them. And we can only do this when we leave our nation, our house, and our own life, when we grow into full measure in Christ Jesus. The righteousness of God we see in the broken tablets is presented within the hearts of men like the mountains of God as well as the great depth of God in which God has and keeps the destiny of the righteous. Psalm 36.6 Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve men and beast. Based on this place of scripture, God keeps the vessels of wrath for destruction as well as the vessels of mercy to be able to glorify them, to, to lift them up. In this place of Scripture, the mountains of God and the depths of God, and so the, the de destiny of men and the mountains of God we see. The purpose of these things, the mountains of God and the depths of God that identify the great destinies of God are planned by God to keep a person. And we see here that uh, God keeps his flocks and his people, and he sees them as one in certain situations. And so a person he sees as a spiritual person or a person living a spiritual life and as the flocks who live a life in the flesh. The mountains of God are carriers of truth that have within their heart the righteousness of God that are confrontation that are in confrontation with the mountains that envy the mountains of God. Psalm 68, 16 through 21. Why do you fume with envy, you mountains of many peaks? This is the mountain which God desires to dwell in. Yes, the Lord will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them as in Sinai, in the holy place. You have ascended on high. You have led cap captivity captive. 
You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell in there. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the, Lord, the God of our salvation. Our God is the God of salvation, and to God the Lord belongs escapes from death. But God will wound the head of his enemies, the hairy scalp of the one who still goes on in his trespasses. Psalm 68, 16-21 The destinies of God is the genetic inherited program of God that contains in itself the nature of God that is passed down to man exclusively by the seed of the preached word of truth about the kingdom of heaven and to be conceived by the seeds of the word of God can be done by only those people who are born from the seed of the word of truth and has come into a unity of faith and has accepted the Son of God and grown into a full measure in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4:13 through 16 Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of the deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head of Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. In this way, the righteousness of God as the program of God <clears throat> find its place in the hearts of those people who have come in unity and faith and have known the Son of God and have been grown into full measure in Christ. If we will remain in the position that we are in when we receive salvation, as if we can only, as if get to the porch, as some say, or to the porch of God, why do I need the rewards? I just need eternal life, they say. No, my friend. Eternal life is a reward itself. It is a reward. And that to, to get to the porch is also the reward of God. You say to be at least to the, uh, to the porch of God, but yourself never even has been there because you don't accept that porch of God or the threshold of, of God. One, I, had, I had asked one person once, what do you think of your pastor? But he said, I don't think of him at all. And I asked, how is it when you don't even think anything of your pastor at all that you think you will ever be able to be even near to the porch of God? And I, I told him, I don't even want to speak with you in this situation. Different people, and very differently do they understand. They think, in their own mind, they have their own God, but not the God that is in Scripture. The righteousness of God we see in the broken tablets as the program of God is the foundation of the throne of God within the heart of a man surrounded by his clouds and his darkness. Psalm 97, 2-4. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies around about. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. We are looking at the consistency of the broken tablets in the heart of a person. The throne that God sits 
upon is the wise heart of a person. God thinks that God is separately sitting on some kind of throne. He has a house and throne, and his house are we. And so the heart of a person can be uh, only can be a throne of God. God needs a living throne. He created his throne from, from men that will be in his likeness, that will be born from him, and so the throne that the Lord sits upon is the heart of a wise man and the righteousness and justice that sits at the foundation of this throne is the righteousness of a, of a person uh, founded upon the redemption of God if your heart is the throne then the foundation of this throne it says that the foundation of the throne is righteousness and justice clouds and darkness that surround God who sits upon the throne of the human heart are the prayers of the heart that are brought into the presence of God who desires to abide in mystery God desires to abide in mystery in the mystery of our prayers to live within our prayers the cloud that the Lord abides in is the cloud of incense, the prayer of the saints. Upon practice, this means such prayers that are in accordance to the requirements of the fragrant cloud of incense. Fire that goes before God burning up enemies round about is the truth of sanctification in which a person by the cross of the Lord, Jesus Christ, dies for his nation for his house and for his corrupt desires because they are the enemies and he destroys these enemies. The lightnings of God that light the world of a person are the carriers of the revelations of God in the quality of the Urim, lighting the darkness of our Thummim. This is the word of God that we do not understand but keep within our heart. The earth that sees the lightning of the judgments of God and trembles before them are the heart of a wise man with fear and trembling receives the light of the revelation of the Urim that shines the darkness of our Thummim that is kept in the wise heart with, that is the word of God that is kept in a wise heart I have put wisdom in the heart of all the gifted artisans that they make, make all that I have commanded you Exodus 31 6 so they may make of themselves my house where my throne will be where I will abide eternally. And so the righteousness of God as the program of God in the heart of a person will be in the heart of those people that possess in their heart wisdom that is the hope and trust they have in God based upon the hope of our calling. Specifically, our hope and trust in God is the, thr is the throne of God upon which he sits. Further, the righteousness of God we see in the broken tablets is the presence of the image of the Lord who comes from Edom in the heart of a man. He has dyed garments, who is glorious in his apparel, and who travels in the greatness of his strength, mighty to save. Isaiah 63, 1-6 Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Buzrah? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, might, mighty to save. 
Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in wine presses? I've trodden the wine press alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I've trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold, that from my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury is, it sustained me. I have trodden down, down the people in my anger and made them drunk in my fury and brought them down down their strength to the earth. Edom is Edomia, the inhabitants of the descendants of Esau, who symbolize an uncrucified soul threatening our salvation, our Jacob, who symbolizes our spirit, that is our new person. To be able to deliver the new person from the danger and death of his uncrucified soul, the new person in this prophecy to be able to be a part of the year of the saints, needs to be dressed into Christ as the representative of the righteousness of God and uh, have hate towards your old man. Losing your uncrucified soul is an expression of the righteousness of God that leads a person to salvation and making a person a part of the year of the saints. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken, and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the angels will be gathered together. Eagles will be gathered together. Luke 17, 33-37. Losing your soul. From Edom, he comes to save us from this soul. And when he saves, he says, where the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. The eagles that hovers the symbol of their teaching of the resurrection from the dead. He will come, the angels will rapture only those who have this uh, odor of, of, of uh, foul odor of death of their soul. One woman came to me and said that she wanted to rip, uh, confess when a brother came to her and said that the angel will not be able to take you to heaven because you're too heavy and overweight and she was worried and I said the angels will not be lifting us or carrying us I said he will, they will accompany us when we will receive our new bodies we will lift ourselves up and we need that this odor come this foul odor of death of the soul come and this gentleman who told you this he doesn't have this odor this person uh, said a very rude thing to you, to you and so when you will be rapturing you will be in a new body that is in accordance to the glorious image of the body of Christ. Your body will be so beautiful and glorified. You will be capable to fly, capable of flying better than any eagle or any other bird. So don't worry, I told her. And the, the last for today, 
I think we will think of this, talk about this for, um, more. There's so many uh, places about the righteousness of God and to try to put them in one sermon is not possible. The righteousness of God we see in the broken tablets is the personal fulfiller of the purpose of God in the heart of a man presented in the image of the eagle or bird of prey from the east to give Zion the salvation of God and Israel glory. Isaiah 46, 10 through 13, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. I indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, It will also, and I will also do it. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, who are far from righteousness. To bring my righteousness near, it shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. And so the bird of prey is the carrier and representative of the righteousness of God and salvation of God that God has called from the east from afar as a fulfiller of his purpose. This is the son of God who received uh, that has been received and lives in the heart of a man as the son of man and his death as well as his resurrection people with a hard heart and far from the truth are people who follow after people who uh, rely upon their mind when they interpret those places of scripture and these will be shamed by the category of people that rely upon their heart and not their mind. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tr tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwell all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you also also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in the trespasses and the circum uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Colossians 2, 8 through 15. And so the righteousness of God as the program of God finds its place in those hearts that have in their heart uh, uh, the res uh, crucifixion of their soul. And the Lord will call this eagle uh, or this uh, bird of prey from your heart. How will he call us to himself if we will have this eagle, fulfiller of God's will? Because the righteousness of God, it is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> right now we will bend our knees and we will pray. And all those who desire to possess the righteousness of God in their heart, not just justification, but righteousness, to perform righteousness, to be conceived by the seeds of the word of truth, to 
oppose your, your corrupt desires, fears that you may have in yourself. God is here. He's waiting for you. He wants you, by the word that you heard, to prepare you to make you these eagles. Of course, these eagles, they don't become eagles immediately that can fulfill the will of God. In the beginning, they're born in their nest and they're comfortable in those nests, but only to a specific time. Then the uh, mother eagle begins to see that this young one is ready to fly, and their nests are usually very high. And the mother throws out all of the fuzz, all of the warm, uh, warm fuzz that surrounded the, the, the small little bird, and it, it gets very uncomfortable to sit in it. And uh, everything is cast out, and he's uncomfortable uh, on these uh, pricks, and he uh, becomes, and he stands then on the edge, and he begins, he's trembling, but the, the mother herself doesn't force him to go. She waits for him to make that decision. And he uses the two uh, wings that, that he has. This is the power of the word that he received and the Holy Spirit that he received. He hasn't yet used them as he as purpose, but now he has the opportunity to use them. And as soon as he uses them, uh, he will find out that the wings actually can carry him, and it's not actually scary, it's wonderful. May the Lord bless us, and may he make your wings strong, so that you would be able to glide, so that you would be able to fly over those things that you suffer from now. I'm going to be praying your prayer. Please close your eyes, lift your hands to the Lord, That sign that you're ready to receive from the Lord what He's ready to give you. The Lord is in this place to deliver you from fear of death that you have been afraid of all your life. He justified you. He doesn't see your lawlessness. He has cast it into hell when you receive his justification freely by grace and begin to perform righteousness. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my fear, with my shame, with my sin, with my sickness. I ask you, forgive me Wash me, cleanse me, heal my wounds, cover my shame. I accept in you my justification. I open up my heart for your Holy Spirit. Enter in and be a king and Lord of my life. And now before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. 
Amen. Amen. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with a shining face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you but they will not touch you. May all these blessings be upon you and be fulfilled upon you and your children, and the nation shall say, Amen. And now all of us together, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.